Well, I want to welcome you all to another Daily Decade, your rosary on the road. <laughs> Back on the road again after another long weekend. Well, it wasn't a long weekend for me. I still worked on Friday. We just got to have so much stuff going on. Uh, October seems to be the bump in the road month. We've been hitting a lot of uh, a lot of bumps in the road. Uh, but I do have prayer requests. So I wanted to make sure that they got said. We had one that was intended for Friday from James. Uh, and we've got another one in the inbox. Ryan, I saw your email. I will. You are on my list tomorrow. And then we've got a whole slew of them to fill up the rest of the week from the prayer chat. So it's going to be a busy prayer week. You know, keep the uh, keep the choirs uh, keep the choir singing, so to speak. Uh, for today, uh, well, uh, you know what? Before I jump in, I ought to probably say if you want to send in a prayer request before we say this prayer. Uh, you can send those in to daily decad requests at protonmail.com. That's decad d e c a d e requests in the plural at protonmail.com. You can also reach out to us uh, on Gab at the Daily Decad. That's also where we are on Telegram. Uh, let me think here. Go visit the website praytherosaryeveryday.wordpress.com. We're also syndicated on exodusamericanus.com, and you can find me on the Fediverse. That nobody has. It's uh, Mario. Dash Gretty at nobody has the biz nobody has the dot biz. There we go. Uh, let's see website, email, social media. I think that's it. I think I've covered everything. <laughs> the list is getting longer. I don't know why I keep doing this to myself, but the list is getting longer. If you have prayer requests, there are plenty of ways to send me a prayer request. That's the point. And let's turn our attention, our hearts, our minds, our souls to God now and pray for the intention uh, that was sent in for for Friday last. And that's from James and his friends, A and E, uh, who are attempting to conceive a child and have run into some medical difficulties in that process. Uh, there's really nothing more important for us as Christians, particularly Christians of a certain demographic persuasion, to uh, have more babies. So... It's a good thing, and I want to pray very hard for these folks uh, because there's nothing more wonderful than having a family either. That's the other thing is there's, you know, there's the sort of social obligations, there's the religious obligations, but honestly, there are plenty of personal reasons too. <laughs> Excuse me, there are plenty of personal reasons too to have children. I I can't think of anything in the world that's given me so much happiness and fulfillment as being a father. It's it's, it's absolutely wonderful, it, and it is truly a vocation. So I want to pray for these folks and uh, and for their uh, health and for the uh, success, if it's God's will, that they should have uh, a many children that are full of health uh, all the way through their marriage. So let's go ahead and turn our hearts and our minds uh, to God. We've got our rosaries out. Today is a Monday, so we're praying in Latin for the servant of God, A, and the uh, handmaiden of God, E. In nomine Pace, Sefidi, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in Ceri, sanctificator nomen tu, aveni ad regnum tu, fia voluntas tua, sicut in Ceri, et in Terra, panem nostrum quotidianum de nobis odie, et de midi nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos de minimus debitoribus nostris. Et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, 
Ed Benedictus Fructus Ventris Tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, sicurerat principio et nunc et semper et seculus seculorum. Amen. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordia, vita dulcedo et spes nostre, salve. A te clamamus, exulis filia evi, a te suspiramus, gementes et flentes, in hac lacrimarum, vale. Ea ergo, advocata nostra, ilos tuus misericordes oculos ad nos converte, et iesum beatum fructum ventris tui, nobis postoc exilium ostende, o clemens, o pia, Dulce Virgo Maria. Ora pro nobis, Sancta Dei Genetrix, ut de digni officiamor permissionibus Christi. Oremus. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ, thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen.
of St. Coletta Corby, who has been graced by the Holy Church with the patronage of those who are struggling to fulfill the command of God to be fruitful and multiply. Humbly we come before thee and ask thy intercession on behalf of the servant of God, A, handmaiden of God, E, that they may be successful in their endeavors, that they may bring Christian children into the world and may raise up a generation which worships our Lord God. And we ask this on their behalf in the name of Jesus Christ, who livest and reignest with God the Father and the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end. Amen. For all of us in our daily struggles to keep the commandments of God, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Sacritissimo Coriezu, miserere nobis. Sacritissimo Coriezu, miserere nobis. Sacritissimo Coriezu, adveniat regnum In nomine Pacis, Efiri, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. On Friday, I had something to talk about that was based on a comment that my wife had made. We've had ourselves a little bit of a struggle recently, and I think she's been dealing with it probably worse than I have. And uh, she turned to the rosary in her one of her moments of need, as one does, and, and as I recommend everybody do. If you're ever in a time of trouble and you just need to step away, uh, really the place to go is, is to the rosary and to our Blessed Mother, uh, because she is there to help. And she came to the a rather interesting realization as she was saying the rosary on Thursday last, which is Joyful Mysteries, that the Annunciation is a joyful mystery. And yet, what does Mary actually learn? She finds out that she's going to give birth uh, to a child. She's not married. Uh, so you've already got that problem right off the bat she's got to figure out how to explain this situation because that's a uh, that's that's a capital offense to be unmarried to be unmarried and be found with child to uh, you indicates that one has defiled herself of course in the case of the blessed mother obviously that's not the case but uh, the fear must have been great and immediate and then on top of that she's going to give birth to a child who is doomed to die an unnatural death and suffer on behalf of of an ungrateful nation. And yet, without any hesitation, she says yes. And my wife was, she said, you know, when you reflect on it, it's kind of baffling. How is this a joyful occasion? She's been given, what she's really been given is nothing but trials and suffering. And it's true. We, we recite the joyful mysteries. We have to think about those for a second. Okay, the first joyful mystery is the Annunciation. That's when Mary finds out that she's going to give birth to a baby boy who's going to be taken from her, who's going to be tortured, put to death, and cast aside by the very people that he came to save. She's going to be, oh, she's not even, she's betrothed, but she's not married yet. She has no idea what the quality of her a uh, future husband's going to be, really. I mean, she has faith, but she doesn't really have any knowledge of him. 
Joseph has a good reputation, but as a good man with a good reputation, uh, loyal to the law, uh, what's his first inclination? Uh, to put her away pri- privily so that she won't uh, be put to death, ultimately. Uh, it's not necessarily to claim the child as his own. He wants to be loyal to the law. So she has every reason to believe that he's going to uh, make it. Uh, well, she has every reason to believe that he's going to make a run for it. She doesn't believe that, but she has every reason to. So you've immediately got stress and tribulation there. And then she goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house. Now, Elizabeth is with the child, but her whole and her whole household is there. And she's got maids and helpmates around. Her husband, after all, was high priest. So these are people of some means. And Mary is with child. Now, maids and women of the lower classes, really women of all classes, are have a, a terrible tendency when they are all together, and I'm sure any ladies listening to this will be able to confirm it, and when women get together, they are insufferable gossips, or they are at least afflicted with the temptation to become an insufferable gossip. And I know very few women who have been able to prevent themselves their entire lives from giving in to that temptation. And so immediately, you have the Blessed Mother walks into the house of Elizabeth with all these servant girls around, and she's there to wait upon her cousin. And so she really she spends her time, tradition tells us, she spends her time among the servants. And they're all insufferable gossips. Now what in the world must they be saying behind her back? And then we have the nativity. Another joyful mystery. And yet, what do we know about the nativity story? They get into Jerusalem very late. Uh, they're heavily burdened. She's incredibly pregnant. She's just made an, inc- an incredibly long journey on, on, on the back of a donkey. And I, I don't know whether any of you have ever ridden uh, on a horse before, but it's, uh, it, it can be tiring. You have to be fit to ride a horse. You actually have to have physical fitness. It's part of the reason why I think horses are superior to automobiles. They actually force us to be better human beings. But she's riding on this is very pregnant she has got to be in great discomfort because she knows that her time is upon her and she finally gets into Jerusalem or Bethlehem rather not Jerusalem finally gets into Bethlehem and there's absolutely nobody who has any place where they can lodge they've gotten in incredibly late uh, there's people moving all over the place the place is in utter chaos and people want to help, but they simply can't. There's no means to. The situation is uh, untenable. And so somebody finally says, well, look, I've got some place where you can at least keep warm. And throws them out in the hay. And then we get the presentation. Well, what happens at the presentation? She's given the prophecy of Simeon. She's reminded, you're going to suffer, let alone this child. You're going to suffer greatly. Then we have the finding of the child Jesus in the temple. What precedes that? Three days of desperate searching, terrible fear, the anxiety that God has abandoned her because this is the, of course, this is the sorrow, the third sorrow of the Blessed Mother is the loss of the child Jesus for three days. When she, the sinless, the immaculate, experiences what it's like to be a sinner cut off from God. And so you have these pangs of sorrow that hide in every single one of the joyful mysteries. They're all there. And yet our Blessed Mother is called blessed because she has a great blessing, a great gift that God has given her. 
which is that she lives without any regrets. Now we go through our lives, and this was meant to be the reflection on Friday, following up on what we talked about with those primary sins, the like the primary colors, and they combine into other sins, and they color and taint our entire lives. It's very easy, especially, in, and I'm reflecting also on this past weekend's on Sunday, the readings on Sunday. Uh, the, I, believe, I forget what the epistle was of St. Paul, but he talks about the evil days that we live in. And these are evil days. They're evil times. It's an evil place. And so it's very easy for us to regret the situation that we're in. I've reflected on a few occasions that I did not join the priesthood when I had the opportunity to and instead went wandering away from Christianity for as long as I did. I lost many years of my life that I could have spent perfecting myself, making myself a better man than I am today. And I, in a way, it's a, uh, it's a blessing because I've become more keenly aware of, uh, well, just what kind of man that I am and how imperfect I am and where my imperfections are and where they need to be perfected. And my various faults and that I don't have any problem confessing to them. They are, they are my own. They are part of me. And uh, they represent failures that I have to overcome in order to make my way towards sainthood. And perhaps I wouldn't become aware of them if I wasn't out in the desert for some time self-examining. Maybe I would. But I have regrets. I live with that, with that regret and that question. Nietzsche, who is <laughs> Nietzsche is one of my is one of my favorite philosophers to reference, not because he's right, because but because he's so interesting and he's so he's so uh, pitiable in many ways, and he's sympath- he's a sympathetic character because he so desperately wants to be a Christian, but he can't stand the idea of being a Christian, and so he tries to cu- he spends his entire life trying to come up with a way to be a Christian without being a Christian, and it eventually drives him insane. And one of the ways in which he tried so desperately to be a Christian was he believed that you should live without regrets. That was one of the marks of the Ubermensch, is that you live without regrets. You have a, an amor fati, you love fate, you love your own destiny, so that every decision that you make is a final decision in which you have absolute and supreme confidence. Now, if you're just human and you don't have any desire to fulfill the will of God and you're only fulfilling your own will, well, inevitably you're going to have regrets, and if you follow Nietzsche's philosophy, all you're going to end up doing is repressing those regrets. And then you're going to end up in an insane asylum, which is what happened to him. But if you want to live without regrets, then you accept the destiny that God has given you, and you seek to do His will, and His will alone, in love. That's uh, true. That that means that means love in the theological sense, which is what our blessed mother did. Well, then you won't end up in an. You might still end up in an insane asylum, but it will be other people who judge you insane. You won't be insane yourself. But ultimately, you'll make it into heaven, and that's the the goal, the sainthood. And the first the first person who models sainthood in its sort of form uh, is uh, the manifestation of the form. Christ is the form of sainthood. Our Blessed Mother is the first manifestation thereof. She is our exemplar. 
And she lived without regrets. She knew the sorrows. And she dealt with them. And it's interesting, you have to think about how she dealt with them, because when you look at the Gospels, you see our blessed Lord reminding her on several occasions of her sorrows. The first would be, she's reminded of them when she finds him in the temple. And he makes it clear to her that he's done nothing wrong, obviously, and that she was meant to suffer in this way. And then again, when she goes to him at Cana, and he says, what does this have to do with us? We've got more important things to worry about. I'm going to die, and you're going to suffer with me. Don't lose sight of that. And then again, when she comes with, uh, uh, with his cousins or... Uh, I, I think official church teaching is that they're not St. Joseph's children. Uh, in the East, they believe that. But uh, she comes with his cousins and comes to him, and uh, they say, your, your mother's here to see you. And he says, what mother? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? They who keep the word of God. It's another reminder you you get nothing here on earth. This is not the place for your glory. As if she needed to be reminded of that. But our Lord nevertheless reminds her on a few occasions that this is meant this is to be her lot. And she accepts it every single time with perfect humility. Even in the midst of her sorrows, she has joy and she has no regrets at all. She lives without regrets. Because she knows that it is pleasing to God. She doesn't know that she's going to be crowned in heaven. She says, all generations shall call me blessed, but that's not what makes her happy. What makes her happy is that she's doing what God wants. She is his slave. Behold the handmaiden of the Lord. What is a handmaiden? A handmaiden is, in most cases, a slave. It's very rare to have servants that you paid money to in the ancient world. You didn't need to. You just bought. You paid the the price up front. You weren't on a subscription service. You paid the price up front. You got the servant, fed the servant, took care of the servant, just like buying a car. You know, you weren't on a payment plan. You maintain it, and it does the work that it needs to do. That's that's your that's an automobile. And the same thing is true of of slaves in the ancient world. So. She was there to be a slave, a true slave to God. And true, when I say true, I mean a slave indeed, but also uh, a one who is loyal, absolutely loyal to the Lord. Because all of us are fit to be slaves. We're not fit to be children of God. We're not worthy of that. And we say that every time. When we go, when we go to confession, we say it. We say it in the Mass. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. And that humility is the mark of faith, and that humility is what helps you to live without regrets, because you're always doing something that is pleasing to the to the Lord, to God. That's how you love your destiny, because God is our destiny, and so we love. We have our amor fati, and we live without regrets, and we become what Christ intended us to become, if there's ever a definition of the Ubermensch that exists, it is what St. John says in the opening of his gospel. And unto them gave he power to become the sons of God, even unto them that believe on his name. 
that's the pass. Now, I, maybe the wording's a little bit different in the Dewey Rames. I'm sorry. I've got the, I've got one version memorized. I know that it's basically the same in Dewey Rames. It might be believe in rather than believe on. You get the point. And so that's what we're called to do. Not to regret anything. We are where we are, who we are, how we are, because God has willed it to be so. And all of our faults are obstacles for us to overcome. All of our, the difficulties in the world, our circumstances, are trials to be borne, crosses to be placed upon our shoulders and hauled up Calvary. And it's a sort of a theme, as I've said it before, it's one of my favorite sayings, and I tell my children the same thing. If you don't bear your cross, someone else around you is going to bear it for you. You're still going to end up crucified, but you're not going to be lifted up from that cross because you forced someone else to bear it. We only have Easter Sunday if we have Good Friday with our Lord. The thief on his left had a Good Friday, but he had a Good Friday alienated from Christ. The thief on his right had a Good Friday with Christ. And that's who we are called to be. And so it is my prayer that as we continue to prepare, especially as we're coming into the season of all souls uh, and all saints, that the uh, that triduum, and as we begin our descent into the Advent season, that we will be constantly reminded of our purpose by reflecting on our place and particularly the things about it that we don't like, that we might offer those things to Christ and better lift our own cross, that in turn, facing these difficulties, we may be crucified with him to the world and might rise with him as he rules on the third day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.